You're listening to your favorite podcast about flesh and blood and its community. Welcome to Last Ditch Effort. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Last Ditch Effort. My name is Maurice and I'm joined by my co-host Patrick. Hi, hi, uh, I'm good. Uh, hello everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy, happy holiday season to everyone. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. We, uh, I had way too much Christmas food, so <laughs> I'm still uh, just sitting at home digesting the last week. Yeah, the the classic, just eating a lot and turns out um, fatigue in a family context can mean more than not having cards in deck anymore. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Did you get to play some Flesh and Blood at all over the holidays? Yeah, so so I know this is a Flesh and Blood podcast, but I started like reading a little bit about sorcery, TCG, and, and, and diving into that. Uh, just because of the board game feel over the holidays, um, I didn't play much Fab, unfortunately. Like there, there wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't around <laughs> too many people who actively play Fab. Uh, I thought about like bringing some decks to to teach my family, but then, uh, yeah, time was limited, and uh, we decided to just go for a walk instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's but, probably yeah. a healthy way to spend Christmas instead of thinking about flesh and blood all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I think like the, the off season, it feels like the off season. And I think it's also important to get a little bit of uh, distance to the game. Like, I think I didn't play a Talishar game also in, in about a week or something. And I played two, two games today. Uh, I was like, oh, after lunch, I was like, let's play two games. And it felt completely different. Like... I was relaxed and like had a fresh mind and a fresh viewpoint, changed a few cards uh, in, in the decks I've been playing. And I think it's it's really good to, to get some distance. Yeah, it's nice taking a little break from the game sometimes, right? Makes you, yeah. Makes yeah, you yeah. miss it that much more when you come back. Yeah, and I think it's important to, to also not, not get like... Not get burnt uh, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think burnout actually is something um, in in a fab context that that I've read a lot about on social media recently, and I talked to some players that really felt like after all these uh, more or less competitive events and local events and armories, like you play so much, um, and sometimes it's good to just like get a little bit of distance and uh, come back with a fresh mindset. And I think that's that's where we are now. Did you play much or? Um, I played a couple of Talishar games here and there, but not uh, not in person. Um, but yeah, I also was like on a bit of a flesh and blood break. Honestly, I've been enjoying these like Christmas, uh, Christmas season all of December. Even at the armories, I I played like two armories where we just played Team Sealed, and it was not not super try hard, right? You just have fun, um, and it was great. I had a lot of fun. But yeah, over the the last couple of days, not a lot of flesh and blood. Yeah, I played I played a team seal too. Did, well, we played against yeah. uh, each other in in one of the team seals, and it was yeah, team seal was fun, but it didn't feel like competitive flesh and blood. You know what I mean? And I think that's good. Yeah, like, definitely. It's good to just like re like re refocus, look back. Uh, 
look back at the year um, and yeah, come back with with more spark, with a bigger spark uh, of joy. Definitely, and, and it I was think... also great because we played Outsiders Team Sealed, and honestly, at this point, Outsiders already feels like it was so far, like so long ago, that um, it felt really refreshing to to play some Outsiders again. I love that set. Yeah, yeah. You you had played against Codex of Frailty. Oh yeah, that was we, brutal. We, we, we played against each other. I was on Azalea, and I had this bonkers, almost CC like Azalea deck, um, and then <laughs> I'm I'm like on Death's door and just play a Codex, <laughs> get out of the Kodachi lock, swing back, win the game. <laughs> ah, it felt it. It felt so good um, to open that in in the team sealed. Um, yeah, so so that's that's that. We're back. I think tomorrow is an armory. Um, I I will be playing. I don't know if you will be playing. Yeah, I'll try to make um, it. I'm excited to get back into the back into it after taking a little time off. Sounds great. So um, now that we we talked a little bit about Christmas and and taking a break, um, why don't you tell us what today's episode will be about? I have one more very important question for you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Did you get your squeezy and floof? Uh, <laughs> I got the rainbow for the squeezy and floof. <laughs> yeah. uh, tomorrow will be the last chance to oh, get. I it. see. Um, I see. So you really have to try your best tomorrow. Eh? Yes, <laughs> maybe. I don't know if Prism is the best deck to bring, but uh, I will play Prism and I'll get my cold for Squizzy and Floof with Prism before bef before new 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 Luminaris. Yeah, it will be so much sweeter to win with Prism when everybody says she's not good, right? Exactly, exactly. All right, then let's cool. get into All this right. week's topic. Yes, what is this week's topic? So this week's topic, because we're kind of in this midpoint between sets, we figured we would talk a little bit about an aspect of Flesh and Blood that doesn't get a lot of podcasting time, which is the judge community. It's honestly one of the most important pillars that like makes this game work. All the events that people talk about, every single like bigger event, but even... You know, ProQuests, uh, Road to Nationals, Nationals themselves, you need a ton of judges and you need dedicated and motivated people to take over this role kind of as volunteer work, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yes, it's, it's sort of volunteered. Uh, I mean, uh, judges get their fair share on, uh, of product and if you travel, um, you have the chance to get reimbursed and things like this. But um, I, I still think it's like it's judging an event feels more like giving <laughs> than it feels like uh, taken. Exactly. So first of all, uh, why are we even talking about this? Aren't there enough judges? Like and so far, every event I've been to has had a judge or has had enough judges to at least run the event. Yeah, that's true. Most of the events, I was the judge, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> great. <laughs> that's a that's a solution. Yeah. So so there there is this thing called called Judge Hub 
which is like uh, the community of judges. Um, they're all registered there. You can do the exam. We'll go a little bit into detail later, but uh, there you can search for judges around you. And like in a 200 kilometer radius uh, around around where we live, like Zurich, Switzerland, um, there there is one L2 judge. And I think there are less than 20 uh, L1 judges. And most of them are actually people that usually compete at our events too, right? So so there is, I think in Germany, there there is one in Southern Germany, there is one L2 judge. And I think the all the nationals uh, in Switzerland, he was judging, if I remember correctly, at least the, the, two, the two events that I participated in, uh, we had the same judge, uh, which is fine, right? But um, if, if those L2 judges are in such high demand, um, sometimes they, they may be uh, asked to judge an event or two events that are at the same day or back to back to back on a weekend or something like this. Um, and that's like a lot of stress for them too, if, if they have to judge or if they want to judge all those events. So it's a lot of time that you commit to the game. And I think um, they're like <clears throat> there i think there are not enough judges and i also think that people more people should just uh, do the l0 judge exam uh, to familiarize themselves with like a little bit more of of fundamental rules and i think for newer players especially it can become like a cool way to get introduced into into this aspect of the game like so maybe before we get we jump into level 1 and level 2 maybe we go through uh, what is the journey? But let's let's start at like the local the local level, right? Not these top tier events, but the lower tier events, like let's say up to to ProQuest or something like this, because that's actually where where I am right now. So you can you can go to to the Judge Hub uh, forum. There is um, let let me quickly open this. It's like judge.fabtcg.com. That's your, the website, the landing page. You can make an account and things like this. And then you can, um, you have this tab called exams. And then you can, you can make an exam and start your journey to become an L0 judge, right? So to become an L0 judge, you just need uh, a gem number. <laughs> so anyone with a gem number can, can take this exam. And there is a passing grade of uh, a certain percentage out of 40 questions that you need to answer correctly in order to become a certified L0 judge. Um, yeah, do you want to, to go into more detail for, for the L0? Uh, what, what does that mean now <laughs> that, that you are an L0 judge? Exactly, I took the L0 judge exam a while ago. First of all, it's the first step to take if you wanna take judging more seriously. But it is also just a way to really understand the rules of the game on a more structural level. Not only um, will you be able to understand like what the cards do, but also why they do what they do and why certain rules interactions work that, the way that they work. So you will understand like the timings better when you can play a defense reaction versus when you can play an instant or why something can get go again in like a resolution step that's like very counterintuitive if you don't know how the game rules actually work right but really the more important step is that this is the first 
or the, the, the more important aspect to an L0 exam is that is your starting point to taking the L1 exam. So yeah. could you maybe elaborate a little bit what you have to do to become an L1 judge and what an L1 judge would be allowed to do in the in yeah. club, in your yeah. hobby? Yeah. So on on the on the judge uh, judge hub forum, there is also this like this roadmap basically where where all what we are talking about is described. And to get from level zero to level one, um, you must have an L one certified past exam, and then you need to pass two other online exams. And one of them is like the the rules test, um, and so that's called uh, L one A. And then there is the L one B test that is about like uh, the competitive uh, rule enforcement uh, level policy test. And yeah, you need to pass both of them. And whereas the the L zero you can do over and over again without a reset timer, the L one tests they have a timer. So if you don't pass them at the first time, don't worry, you can do them again. But I believe there is a reset time of 90 days. Um, so if you fail, uh, it, you can just wait 90 days and to take the exam again. And I think this, the, the L1 is more diving more into like rule enforcement um, questions and like just code of conduct and things like what you have to watch out for at bigger events that you are part of the judging team or the judge team um, and how to how to solve problems that occur and how to solve uh, misplays and and like gameplay infractions and things like this so in order like there there are is this comprehensive rules thing and it's part of the the L1 um, uh, exam like the L1A but there's also this this rules and policy thing and i think this is this is really what I felt like um, I learned a lot uh, about events and event, like what judges do at events. Everyone kind of thinks of the judges as like the guys in the yellow shirts and they just run around and answer questions. But I feel like they also do a lot of stuff behind the scenes that if you're not a player familiar with how these large events are organized, you would never even notice. Um, yeah. Yeah, I recently saw in the rules infraction guideline booklet that if you leave, if a judge uh, catches you leaving your trash at the table, he he can give you a warning. <laughs> so they're not just yeah, but it, it makes sense exactly it makes it's, sense because it's, it's all part right. Yeah, it's all part of of running a smooth turn. Exactly. Yeah, they want to make sure the event runs clean, but they also want to make sure the event runs smoothly and. A big part of judging is also the scorekeeping aspect, right? So they're the ones putting in, um, putting all the scores into the system and making sure the rounds get paired correctly and people get dropped and all of that stuff. Exactly. It's all the logistics um, which are part, part of the rules. And playing fair does also mean to get rid of your trash. Yeah. Um, it's it's part of part of fair play. Uh, another thing like is this discussion about proxy cards and things like this. Um, like yes, we we take care of that too. So when you go go to an event and you have your uh, slapped cold foil eye of Ophidia that Pringles, um, if you take it out of this lab, 
uh, and it's a mark card like just just come to the judges um, and they'll give you a proxy um, right they're they're they we they won't force you to to play that pringly uh, pile of cash um, that is a mark card uh, so so that's that's all part of part of uh, running a tournament what what level event would you be able to judge as an L1 judge? Like you know that yourself, right? Because you passed the L1 yeah. exam. So what what events yeah. are you allowed to run by yourself? So I think you're you're allowed to judge basically any event, but you are not allowed to be the head judge of higher tier events. So I yeah, don't quote me on that, but I believe um, everything Higher than tier two events, you're not allowed to be the head judge if you're not an L2 judge yet. But please correct me if I'm wrong. So if, if any L1 judge um, in the audience disagrees and ever judged a tier three plus <laughs> event, um, let us know. But I, I think that that is... I think you're required to have an L2 judge at uh, nationals and and uh, higher tier events. But you can still be scorekeeper floor judge on those bigger events. And actually this already brings out. us to yeah, that that brings us to our like the L2 requirements because now that you are an L1 judge and let's say you passed you passed your um, your rules uh, enforcement level test and your your game rule test of your L1. Now you want to become an L2 test, uh, an L2 judge. Sorry. And then again, there there are those tests you can you can take uh, to become an L2 judge. Uh, which again, you have this uh, L2 rules test and you have an L2 competitive rule enforcement level uh, policy test. Again, with this 90-day cooldown uh, period, and those are a little bit more more difficult questions and or more complex interactions and things like this. Um, and, and one thing to, to keep in mind here is when you do the test, you are allowed to read in the rules, right? It's not that you have to drive somewhere, <laughs> sit in an exam room all by yourself. Um, whereas you're not allowed to discuss this with anyone else while you take it. Um, but you can still read like the rules uh, and the rule enforcement level things and the, the policy in in the rules when you do that. And that's also what you do when you judge an event. Um, it's not expected that you have all the I don't I don't I think it's more than a hundred pages, right? The <laughs> comprehensive rules is one hundred nine pages, and the rule enforcement uh, thing is like forty seven. Um, pages. It's not expected that you have all this memorized word by word in your hand. It's more like you know where to find things quickly and you're efficient and you know how to interpret the things that are written there. So this is this is part of the L2 test. And then there are a few more steps. So in order to become L2, which is currently like the, the, the top tier of judges, um, you have to have judged two tier two or higher events in the last year. So in the past 365 days, which means like uh, Road to Nationals pro, pro quests um, or higher. Like you could have been part of like uh, the Battle Hardened Church stuff, National Champion Church stuff, Calling Pro to Worlds, whatever. Um, and so you have to have 
two judged events confirmed, uh, which makes sense. Like if you want to be a higher tier judge, you have to show that actually you care about judging and you do that, you do judging. So skirmish armory on demand, play anywhere. That does not count. <laughs> like you can't just make like your own, your own thing at home with a friend and then say, oh, I'm judging this event. Uh, so, so that doesn't count. And then I think what, what can become difficult in scenarios where we are right now is you need a recommendation from, from an existing level two judge. And for example, Switzerland, as far as I know, does not have a single level two judge. So if any of us would want to judge the, the nationals in Switzerland, we would need a recommendation from someone that is a level two judge already, which we do not have in our country, which means we for sure need to travel to another country, to a bigger event, to work together with an L2 judge that then potentially can um, mentor us and can give us a recommendation. It's not something that you just like write an email like, hey, L2 judge, please write recommendation, LOL. Um, no, they really have to have to see that they will refer you. So they have to be sure that you are actually suitable for to become an L2 judge. Yeah, and as far as I understand um, it, people also take this quite seriously. It's not like uh, um, the people that are judging take judging seriously enough that they would not just write you a recommendation because you asked for it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like for us, it's a little bit uh, a tricky situation, right? We don't have, like Switzerland does not have um, callings <laughs> and battle hardens and things like this. So we always need to travel, fly to other countries. Um, and then usually it's like, oh, yeah, we play in those events. It's again, yeah. we're back to this. Oh, do you play an event? Do you judge an event? Um, so it, it can become a little bit tricky, I think, to get like the first couple of <laughs> L2 judges uh, into your that, country. But then the other way around as well, right? If we wanted to host a battle harden here in Switzerland, we would need to fly in a judge from somewhere. We could not just like ask someone here to do it. Yeah, but that is that is common. Like also on the judge up um, thing, there you can apply to judge bigger events, um, and you can like contact judges near you, like find a judge near you, um, and and things like this. Right. So I think this this works. Like w so far, Switzerland nationals always had a judge. Like. <laughs> It's not that we don't have people who can come here, but it would also be cool to just have more more local L, L2 judges. Um, so yeah, th this is one, I think, uh, between the L2 and the, and the L1, to get from L1 to L2, I think there is like a, a bigger barrier just, just by this accessibility in terms of you are f almost forced to travel. Um, uh, and yeah. Some people might not be able to afford that. Um, so yeah, I think th this is where it can become a little bit tricky. Um, but up to becoming an L1 judge, it's really, I think um, everyone can do that. And I think uh, more people should do that just to familiarize themselves with, with the rules a little bit more. Yeah, that's that's sort of where I am right now. I took the L1, uh, the L0 exam a while ago, but I never, really intended to take the l1 exam but now that i've seen that that's actually basically if you don't judge an event there is already going to be hard to find another l1 judge like in our community yeah and i think like in 
one or two podcasts ago, I think we said, oh, everyone should do the L0, um, the L0 test, right? And I think we just quickly checked and I think like uh, some of our newer players actually did the L0 yeah, that's great. Uh, t test and they're now certified L0 judges. So shout out to them. Great job. Um, uh, it's cool. I hope you, you learned a lot. Um, so, so initially the idea was... Um, You had the idea, actually, that we could do this, go through the questions of the L0 judge together. But unfortunately, like, it's we're not allowed to share because, like, we would give you the answers already. And this is, like, not the way it should work. Um, but instead, um, I think you had an even better idea. Yeah, so there is actually the Flesh and Blood judges have a really great Twitter um, account. It's called Fab Judges on Twitter, F-A-B-J-U-D-G-E-S. Um, and they always, I would say like twice a week or so, they post um, a rules question. So they present you with a game situation and then they let the community vote on if uh, what they think the correct ruling Uh, on this situation is and it's always great because like whenever you click the answer that you think it is you're a hundred percent sure and then you immediately see that you're the only person who thought this and you feel like an idiot <laughs> yeah yeah i think the the judges are this is like one of the, the best things i think the, the judges came up with uh, to have this x or yeah twitter or x um uh, account and they they post those questions and it's like It's funny because it also shows in a way that the, the people replying to those uh, to those rules questions, right? They they are most likely flesh and blood players, and it sometimes happens that like you see that only I don't know twenty percent of everyone who voted has the the right vote. So if you were at an event like only like every fifth player would do the right thing in those situations and i think this already shows us that um yeah we need the judges and um it also shows you that oh, the rules can get quite complex and sometimes it's not as obvious as we we might think um yeah yeah so yeah we we will go through a couple of them right now do you want to to get us started all right so let me get this started here. You're a you're a prison player, right? So you should you should absolutely know this. Yeah, of course I know this. <clears throat> so it says here Tyler plays a warmonger recital, um, which is a generic action from Monarch that says the next attack action card you play this turn gains plus three, and if it hits, put it on the bottom of your deck. Then. Well, Tyler plays a Warmonger's Recital, uh, then hits Nick with a Wartune Herald. In the resolution step, Tyler decides to have uh, Warmonger Recital trigger as Layer 1 and Wartune Herald trigger as Layer 2. Wartune Herald trigger resolves and puts Wartune Herald into Tyler's soul. Then Warmonger's Recital trigger resolves. What happens with the Warmonger Recital trigger? trigger so basically he has the wartune herald that says if wartune herald hits put it into your hero's soul and you have the warmonger's recital that says if this hits 
put it on the bottom of your deck. It says here, Tyler decides to have Warmonger's Recital trigger as layer one and Wartune Herald trigger as layer two. What happens with yeah. the Warmonger's Recital trigger? Yeah, so, so this is, before we read out the potential answers, this is already like, this is the question about layering, right? You have two things that, that happen at the same time, the active player decides the layering, which is described in the question, and then the question is, how do they resolve? So the possible answers are, A, Wartune Herald goes to the bottom of the deck and, and stays in Tyler's soul. B, Wartune Herald goes to the bottom of the deck but is removed from Tyler's soul. Or C, it does not move Wartune Herald from the, to the bottom of the deck. Yeah, so so what do you think? <laughs> I think it does not move uh, Warting Herald to the bottom of the deck. The reason being that um, once the card gets moved into Soul, um, it essentially, you can no longer put it under your deck, right? Yes, and I think one important thing is also the how the triggers are how the triggers are layered right because tyler um the, is at the active player so he has two effects that happen on hit that happen on, at the same time um and he gets to decide which one to put as layer one and as layer two and like the first layer is the warmonger's recital the second is the war uh Wartune herald and because the second one will resolve before the first one, then it will go into soul, and then it does not exist anymore. Um, and yeah, the Warmonger's Recital thing will just not put it on the bottom of the deck. That would also be my answer. Yes. Um, but That is the correct answer. Yes! It says, and the here... good answer was C. It does not move Wartune Herald from the soul to the bottom of the deck because Wartune Herald is no longer on the combat chain to be moved. Perfect. So it seems like we we had it right. And also here, 84% um, of the community that voted, is like 274 votes, were actually correct. So this is a question where if you would just yell into a room the question, um, then like by crowdsourcing, <laughs> you would get the right answer most likely at your local armory. Yep. All right, now you hit me with one. All right, so let's go to, to UPF, uh, which is like a multiplayer format and let's switch things up a little bit. So um, the cards that are in that will be mentioned uh, are Taipanis, the Trakai of Judgment, which is a draconic adjudicator hero that says the first time each turn another hero becomes the target of a source that would deal lethal damage. You as Taipanis player may discard a red card, and if you do, you can choose new targets for that source. So you can always discard a red card to redirect lethal damage. And the other card that this will interact with is a Forked Lightning, which is a wizard action that just says deal two arcane damage to target hero. New paragraph, deal two arcane damage to target hero. So the question is, 
it's usually Tyler and Nick that play. Um, Tyler plays Taipanis in a four-player UPF game, and Nick, so the other player, plays Forked Lightning, targeting two heroes. So two Arcane to Alex on their left, and two Arcane to Tyler on their right. And Alex is at one HP and has AB1, so he cannot save himself. Um, so when Taipanis triggers, uh, Tyler discards um, discards a red card and wants to redirect the damage. So the potential answers are here for the question which targets are legal, like for the Taipanis thing. A. Tyler can redirect twice two arcane damage to Nick. B. Tyler can redirect two arcane to Nick and two arcane to Alex. C. Tyler can redirect two arcane to Nick and two arcane to himself or themselves, and D, all of the above. So the question is, or the rules thing in this is like in a UPF game, you're only allowed to target to your left and to your right if it says specifically target. Um, but the question is, can you still target someone who's not to your left and not to your right with this Taipanis ability that says um, if you do choose new targets for that source? Um, I believe so. I, my answer would be all of the above. Um, because okay, specifically, and why? <laughs> it specifically says choose new targets for this, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, it could be it. So it it. Yeah, I think I think it could target anyone at the table. Yeah. So so let's let's look at the solution, and it is as you said, D. Yes. Um, if an effect allows you to change the target of an attack or effect, you may target any legal target, not just the heroes to the left or to the right. Um, so this is something for, for the uh, UPF players amongst you. Um, I actually have a Taipanis from judging an event. I think you're the <laughs> I only the person promo. I know that owns a Taipanis. Yeah, but you also would be the only so person cool. I know who would play it in a UPF event. So, <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like the design of the hero. Um, so maybe some of you have heard about Taipanis for the first time and about this rules interaction and UPF for the first time. Um, but yeah, I think this this is a, is a very cool example where I would probably um, had to think about this very hard if I would have been the Taipanis player. But now that I know it, another reason to play uh, more Taipanis in the future in UPF. So yeah, do you want to take another one? Let me read the, the start here. Tyler is playing Dash IO and hasn't destroyed an item this turn. Tyler attacks Nick with suit soup up red. Nick doesn't defend. In the reactions phase, Tyler plays Boom Grenade Red and Crank. Nick plays and resolves a Tar Pit Trap. How much damage and action points will Tyler have? First of all, Dash IO allows you to play an item off the top of your deck as an instant. Um, this is how he plays the, the Boom Grenade. And then he cranks the Boom Grenade, which gives him an action point. 
Um, Supub says, if an item you control has been destroyed this turn, this gets go again. And Tartbit Trap says, when this defends an attack with go again, the next time an attack action card hits this turn, effects don't trigger. Yeah, so it's about the, the interaction between Tar Pit Trap, um, Boom Grenade, and the go again from, uh, from the soup up. And I think this is um, <laughs> this is like one of the, the complex ones. So the, like because it's about um, does the boom grenade deal damage or when it's about when does the go again of the soup up tri trigger and it does trigger when it hits and the tar pit trap prevents the on hit if it has go again. But I think because the soup up does not have go again until it hits, the go again will resolve. It will get you. So you have this one action point from the boom grenade. You have the one action point from the go again from the soup up. Uh, the soup up hit and the boom grenade triggered. So I think it is D, five damage and two action points. Yeah, that is correct. The good answer was D. Only 41%. Of players got this correct. The good answer is yeah. D, five damage and two action points. Tyler gains one AP from cranking the boom grenade. Tarpit traps resolving effect doesn't occur before soup because soup up did not have go again when it resolved, so the on hit effects occur. Boom grenade will detonate during the resolution step for four damage. Soup up will gain go again during the resolution step and will grant an action point during the link step. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So it's because the go again uh, action, uh, the go again uh, action point basically that you get back is in the resolution step um, or yeah, and you will get the action point in the link but step. But I think you really so... need to understand how um, when, car when defense reactions trigger what's considered played when and like how the how the steps of an attack really uh, play out here. Um, yeah, so I had this question. I think at least three or four times at our local armory already, <laughs> and I think um, it, yeah, it's still some people still not fully answer this correctly. Um, so the cards that this is about is uh, the Nitromax, uh, the new hero that can create a hyperdriver um, as an ability and can and all hyperdrivers have crank. Um, it is about hyperdriver and then uh, the last card the, the interaction cares about is Master Cog, which is the, the legendary gem from Bright Lights, which says when this is pitched, you may put a steam counter on an item you control with crank which in the max scenario, a hyperdriver is an item with crank. And the question is, Tyler playing max has a hyperdriver token with one steam counter in play and has boosted this turn. They activate max ability pitching master cog. What happens next? And the potential answers are A, you can only put a steam counter on the hyperdriver already in the arena. 
B, you can put a steam counter on the hyperdriver in the arena or the one on the stack. C, you can reorder the triggers to put a steam counter on either hyperdrivers. So it cares about um, when is the item on the field um, that you can put the steam counter from Master Cog on. And I think this already gives you an idea about what the right the right answer is. Um. Yeah, so I believe uh, the answer is A, that you can only put a steam counter on the hyperdriver that is already in play. Reasoning being that you pay the costs of the effect before the effect resolves. So you pay the cost for max stability, max stability goes on the stack. And then um, master cogs triggers, and you can put a hyper, uh, a counter onto an item. Yep, uh, and and that is correct. So the correct answer is A because when the max ability is activated and the cog trigger resolves, it can't choose the new hyperdriver because it's not yet created, right? And I think <laughs> it's funny because B already gives you in a way the answer because it says you can put a steam cutter on the hyperdriver in the arena or the one on the stack. So yeah, the second one is still on the stack. <laughs> so you can put a steam counter on something that is on the stack and not yet resolved. Um, the steam counter will just fall down. Um, yeah. So I think uh, yeah, for those of you happy, uh, lucky enough to to open a master cog in in limited, uh, this might have been re relevant or for the max players amongst you. Uh, really cool cards though, and really cool interaction. I think. Yeah, let's do let's do a Bolton one. I feel like this might be <laughs> yeah, yeah. this might Everybody be loves Bolton. <laughs> especially interesting for newer players because I feel like I get it's it's um, a lot of newer players are a little bit confused about how the combat chain works exactly, and this is a question that's gonna um, target that a little bit. It says, Tyler attacks Nick with Raiden with plus three power from charging this turn. Tyler activates and resolves Helm of Sharp Eye, banishing Illumina Ascension, then activating Bolton, giving it go again. Can Tyler play Lumina Ascension? So the wording here is uh, quite um, important. Let me read you Helm of Sharp Eye real quick. Attack reaction. Uh, destroy Helm of Sharp Eye, banish the top card of your deck. You may play it this combat chain. Activate this ability only if your weapon, if if you control a weapon with base uh, with greater power than twice its base. Um, and then Lumina Ascension says is a light warrior action that says until end of turn weapons you control gain plus one and if it hits reveal the top card of your deck if it's a light card put it into your hero's soul and gain one life otherwise put it in put it on the bottom of your deck and bolton says if you've charged this turn your attacks get plus one while defending uh while defended by an attack action card and also as an attack reaction, banish a card from Bolton's soul, target attack with power greater than its base gets go again. And Raiden is a base zero 
uh, Light Warrior Weapon Sword that says for zero attack. If you've charged this turn, Radiant gains plus three. So the answer here is R. A. Well, the question was, can Tyler play Lumina Ascension? A. Yes, because Lumina Ascension was banished with Helm of Sharp's Eye ability. No, because they must close the combat chain to play a non-attack action. Yes, after the chain link resolves, the turn player can play non-attack actions as long as they have an action point. So the, the question here is basically the helm of the sharp eye with the active chain link and the non-attack action uh, interaction. Um, so yeah, helm of the sharp eye again saying activate this ability. Um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, you may play this combat chain. Um, that's, that's the question. So the question is, <laughs> does playing Lumina Ascension close the combat chain or not? That is basically the question. And I think, uh, I hope you had enough uh, time to think, if, if the spirit would be in play. <laughs> um, I think it would work. I'm not a wonder. I think it would work, yes. Um, because you could play it, it as an instant, but I think because Spirit is not in the field, it would cost you uh, an action point, so you would play it, play the non-attack action, which would not be on the active chain link or not on the active combat chain. So I think that you cannot play it. Correct me if I'm wrong. So your answer is B, no, because they must close the combat chain to play a non-attack action. Exactly, yes. Okay. Yes, you are correct. It is B. You are not allowed to play Lumina Ascension because you have to play, you have to close the combat chain to play Lumina Ascension, and then the ability from Helm of Sharp Eye is no longer active, so it wouldn't allow you to play um, no. Lumina Ascension. But, but do you know if this is also true if this? the spirit of Arena is in the field? I think no, right? No, then if, you if, would be able to play it. If the spirit of Arena is, in, is, in, is in, the, in the field, you are allowed to play it. Because Lumina would be an instant exactly. or would be played as an instant. Yes. And that would that, that you can also on the active chain link. So um, yeah, keep that in mind. Um, if you play a non-attack action, like uh, you have to close the chain before. If you play on Talishar, it does that automatically for you. <laughs> I actually but, feel like that's um, the, the tricky part because a lot of players play on Talishar a lot, so they're used to things happening a certain way, but they don't necessarily understand why uh, things yeah. happen a certain way. That's whenever, before I play a non-attack action, I say close the combat chain. Um, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. some people might think it's weird, but that's that's what it is. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I have a, a one that, uh, again, a UPF one, but I think we can skip that, uh, to, to let's more. Do, let's let, do, uh, this week's question then. Okay. Let's do this week's question then. Okay. We actually don't quickly. have an answer yet from, uh, the judge community about which answer is correct, but I think we agree on which one 
is correct. So yeah, at least we we agree to agree. Yeah. Um. So do you want me to read it out? Yes. Go ahead. So the two questions um, that the, uh, the two cards in question are it's a broad question. Of course, Ko just got spoiled. I think a few hours ago uh, when we we're recording this. So new broods, um, old brood cards. Um, the question cards in question are Berserk, uh, which is a brood action that says until end of turn, whenever you discard a random card with six or more power, banish it. If you do. Reveal the top card of your deck. If it has six or more power, draw a card. So this was played before. And then whenever you discard a random card with six or more power, uh, you banish the card and then reveal the top card. And um, if it's six or more power, you draw a card. And the other card in question is Beast Within, also a, a brute staple. Um, it says it's an attack, um, six power attack that says if Beast Within, is put into a graveyard from anywhere other than the combat chain, so for example by discarding, banish the top card of your deck and lose one life. If it has six or more power, put it into your hand, otherwise repeat this process. And the question now is, Tyler has played Berserk earlier and has randomly discarded a beast within to pay the cost of another card. What happens next? So the potential answers are A. Berserk banishes Beast Within. Tyler draws a card, but no Beast Within trigger because it was banished. Then B says Beast Within goes to the graveyard. The Beast Within trigger goes on the stack and Berserk did not banish a card, so no card draw. And C says, Berserk banishes Beast Within, Tyler draws a card, and the Beast Within trigger goes on the stack. So the rules interaction is basically about, I think, about what resolves when, what happens in which order, and does the card go to the graveyard first or not. So... So what, what do you think? <laughs> uh, my intuition says that when Beast Within gets discarded, it goes to the graveyard first. So basically what happens is Beast Within gets discarded. Um, Beast Within's ability goes in the stack. Then it gets banished because we have, we have to resolve Berserk's ability to the end. So we banish it. If you do... Reveal a top card of your deck. If it has six or more uh, power, draw a card. So you get the card draw. Um, you get the card draw from Berserk. And then afterwards, the uh, Beast Within Trigger resolves. So my answer would be C. Yeah, and, and I think this is what, so far at least, <laughs> the community seems to agree on, 66% uh, until now. Um, but I also believe... So, I was a little bit surprised that you could not choose the ordering because you have both effects. But I think, I think C 
is indeed or C could indeed be correct um, because yeah first you discard the card um, as part of the cost and then um, you have this replacement effect from Berserk because I think this is not something that goes on the stack I think this is just something that is a replacement effect and then you have this beast within trigger um, that goes on the stack when you have the berserk that is ha uh, from from the discarding so um yeah i think this is actually what what is happening but <laughs> it would be funny that like this is the one we we have wrong um so yeah next time you'll hear us either apologize or yeah. celebrate <laughs> let us know uh, which which answer you think is correct on this one or even better head over to the flesh and blood judges twitter account and answer it yourself Exactly. I think that that you should all do. Um, yeah, I think there. So there are so many more of these uh, of these examples, but uh, I think we're running already a little bit long. Um, so we we really encourage you go there, have a look, uh, think about those quizzes yourself. I think it's a it's a it's a good thing to to do that, do that on a regular basis. I personally learn a lot every time I look at these. Um, yeah, head over to, to the Judge Hub um, and have a look at yourself. Uh, maybe you want to do the L0, L1, L2 um, road. Uh, maybe you want to judge some events. You can also approach the judges. Uh, there is a Judge Discord too. Um, so the Flesh and Blood uh, Judge Hub Discord where you can reach out to judges, ask questions, ask questions about rule interactions. You'll usually get super fast responses. Uh, there are discussions about rules. You have a lot of resources there too. So, so there is really, the judges are approachable. You can approach them, you can provide feedback, you can ask about rule, complex rule interactions and someone will will get back to you super fast and give you a very detailed um, rule-based answer in in really no time so thanks again to to all the judges that do an amazing work um, that reply on discord that that ensure that everything is running as smooth as it actually is right now so before we end the show what's your what's your goal for 2024 in flesh and blood and in judging Oh, um, so in terms of judging, um, I so I took the the L two tests, um, and I have to repeat one test because I had one too many uh, errors in, in one in one part of the exam. Um, but I I'm really considering to to maybe judge bigger events next year where I ha would have to travel in order to get in, in touch to L2 judges and to more judges because like I'm I'm the small island here basically and and I don't talk to to too many uh, other judges at events unfortunately except the ones that I that I know and usually judge touch judge events with here so maybe yeah I'm still considering like because I also in terms of fab next year I want to to improve as a player, of course, everyone does. Um, but really, I think get a, getting a PTI is something that that I would want uh, to just to prove myself. I can I can earn a PTI. Getting a PTI, I don't mean buying one, <laughs> but I mean like earning one. 
and if I judge all the events that I can get PTIs, then it's harder for me to get one. So it's like this thin line and uh, yeah, I want to judge some events, um, but I also want to play some events to increase my chances to get PTI. What about you? Yeah, I think my goal is to attend a level four event. I have not yet decided. Like, I preferably would like to play in one. So either the um, World Championship or, or a Pro Tour. Maybe maybe I'll try to go as a judge if I can't get a PTI in time or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll try to yeah, apply okay. as an L1 judge. No, but so far, all of the big events have always eluded me. And at this point, I really, really want to go to one, even if it's just to play, I don't know, a calling or some side events. I don't care at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's a good, yeah. So also the PTI is basically a shared goal then, right? Yes, definitely. So we will <laughs> yeah. be competing for every PTI here in, in our local community. But also I do, I do want to step up my judging and I want to take the L1 exam for sure. Thankfully, we have... I have you to fall back on if I have any issues or questions there. So I feel like that that should be a very doable doable goal. So I, I think the goal is probably having judged at least one event by the end of the year. Um, yeah, that's good. I think see. I think uh, it's also possible like to to judge together. Like let's say I'm judging whatever PQ event, um, it's always possible to if there are enough players, right? It's reasonable yeah. to have more judges, and then we can ask, oh yeah, Maurice uh, wants to 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 join forces judging this event, and I think we can we can make something happen there for sure, um, because I think one one PQ already. Um, I I already said yeah yeah I'll, I'll judge there. Um, so if if you would be interested in that, I think we can we can figure something out there. I think there's also something we should also <laughs> mention here. Uh, I think we also have uh, more shared goals uh, in the next year regarding the podcast, right? So of course I want to keep this running. I'm enjoying this a lot, um, and yeah, let's let's keep this up and uh, let's hear from the listeners what they want to hear in the future, what what they want to hear from us in the future. Uh, what you like, what you think we could do better. So, or what your own goals provide are feedback. for the next year. Yeah, or or what your own goals are. Maybe maybe we'll see each other at all those PTI events in Switzerland next year. Um, they're not enough for all of us. We've seen that last year, um, and the competition is fierce. But yeah, we'll we'll eventually get there. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. You can find us on Twitter under the handle at LDFpod, that's L-D-F-P-O-D, or you can send us an email under questions at LDFpod.com, that's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S at L-D-F-P-O-D.com. We're looking forward to hearing from all of you and hope you tune in again in two weeks when it's time again for the LDF podcast. Mm -hmm.